Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Which Kelly are you? Edward. People call me Ned. I photograph what my conscience asks me to. Mad Max 2. It's my kind of movie. Shut up! Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Sledge. Oh, he's disabled. I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip hop anymore. G'day! Welcome to The Curb. My name's Andrew Pierce, and this is the podcast that's all about culture, unity, reviews, and banter. This podcast is proudly recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region, and I pay respects to their elders both past, present, and emerging. On this particular episode, I catch up with the director of the documentary, The Rise of the Synths, Ivan Castell, which uh, his new film, this particular one, The Rise of the Synths, is going to be screening online via the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival from the 30th of June through to the 15th of July, as well as at the Perth Revelation Film Festival 2, which is occurring online as uh, Revelation Couched, and that runs from July 9th to July 19th. This is a wonderful documentary that is all about synth music. It's narrated by the director and uh, synth pioneer, John Carpenter, and it explores the synthwave music and how the artists of today were inspired by era that some of them weren't even born in, and they have a nostalgia for a decade that they weren't even born in, the 80s. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a fascinating dive into music and the way that music uh, can influence our minds and create memories that we didn't know we had, or fake memories too. That was really interesting. So I really enjoyed it quite a bit, uh, especially because, as I mentioned in this particular interview, I have been listening to a little bit of Vaporwave as I sit down and write reviews or write job applications and things like that. As I sit down and write uh, I'll have that on the background, and it's quite a calming, soothing presence in my mind, just like the synth wave is in this particular film. Anyway, it's enough from me. Uh, I'm going to play the trailer and be back with the interview. If you are hearing this, it's a message from the past and from the future. I kind of always played with the thought of like making 80s-inspired music, but I didn't think anyone would listen to it. It's got one foot in the past, and it's got one foot in the future as well. And if you're somewhere in the middle, that's probably what I'd call synthwave. I mean, I only knew, like, maybe six bands. I didn't think there was going to be, you know, hundreds of other guys in the next few years. Human nature. We want something, and we want autonomy. I just got the feeling that they think it should be like a closed club, that no one else can come and make this stuff. That's ridiculous when what we're doing is a homage to the 80s. You ain't inventing this stuff. We're hidden. Nobody knows how each other looks like. No one has to know who you are. It's people that just want to do this for the sake of doing it and 
Maybe not for recognition. I didn't expect Synthwave to be as influential on mainstream things as it has been. It'll get bigger to the point where it'll all fall in on itself and it'll be super uncool again. But how long do we have? <laughs> Maybe five, ten years? How do we get going? My name is John Carpenter. I'm here to introduce you to a world of an unknown music movement you've probably never heard of. Um, so, yeah, thank you again for giving me your time to have a talk about your documentary, which will be screening via the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, uh, and I believe as well Perth's Revelation Film Festival too, which is my hometown. So congratulations on your representation in Australia. Uh, how, is it, how is it to have um, two Aussie film festivals uh, under your belt? That's, that's great, because one of the things that's really amazing about this documentary is how... Um, we are having we are having really a lot of um, how how could I uh, say this? Uh, it's really great that we are having a, a small but humble uh, festival circuit, and uh, we are reaching really uh, places we didn't thought about. And Australia is one of those places that I didn't knew uh, if we're gonna get. Um, any synth wave, any nostalgia audience. So it's really great just to have those two. I'm really, I'm really um, happy about it and all the team. And the shame is that we cannot go there and travel and, because I haven't seen Australia ever. So, oh really? No. Well, <laughs> I mean, this this is that was that leads into a good question then because your film covers so much of the world. Like there is so many different parts of the world that are, that are featured in there. And there's a, there's a glimpse of Melbourne, Australia. Um, I, I'm cu- curious, like, how did you go about that from, uh, you know, organizing that kind of aspect of the filming? Because it's, uh, you know, it, it's a pretty massive uh, endeavor to undertake. Yeah. It was really uh, complicated uh, in terms of both production. I mean, that's, probably uh, a better, uh, you will get a, a, a better uh, answer from my producers, not for me, because they have to deal with all the um, organizing of the, of the shootings. But basically what we did is we did it in two, two rounds. So we shot uh, Europe, all the artists that you see in the documentary, which are from Europe, we shot them at once in two weeks, I think. Then we stopped. Uh, I started editing, and then we have a second round, which is basically the ones in uh, in the states and uh, in Canada. And then we have the other ones, like in Australia, um, that I didn't shot myself because um, because basically Power Glove, which is the ones that are from Australia, are very mysterious guys, and uh, they wanted to show themselves. And they did a great job. So basically, it's a mixture of me uh, going to all the countries because I really wanted to um, to be very visuals and uh, be um, and um, and be able to control the shooting. Okay, so basically, it's just a really small part of those shootings that I didn't go there, and we have to do it with another uh, person. But it's just I I mean ten percent of the film. But basically, it was very complicated to just to shot all of that and um, be able to squeeze it in a very low budget um, documentary. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, well, let's go back to, to 
dot one, like the 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 genesis of this particular film. Um, where did your interest in synthwave music come from? And additionally, where did the desire to tell this kind of story uh, come from too? Okay, so basically, I was not into synthwave like at all. I come from. Uh, I was a teenager in the nineties, so um, synths were really not a hype thing. So it was, on the contrary, it was the the worst sound that you could uh, hear being a teenager. You wanted to have, I don't know, grunge and metal and all that kinds of guitar sounds. So I really wasn't into that kind of sound. But um, a friend of mine, like, I, I think it was six years ago, something like that, who was into electronic sounds, I was making a video for him. He's a photographer. And he sent me a music that I, he wanted me to put on the video. So basically, he sent me two links uh, to YouTube. And I opened one of them, and it was Elvis Stallone Corbett. And I see this uh, video, which is basically uh, footage from the film Cobra from the 80s with uh, Sylvester Stallone. And with uh, a score that sounds that, that sounded like something from the 80s, like super cheesy. And I was like, what is this? I don't understand if this is a joke, if this is a really music from the 80s that I don't know about, or what, what is this? I didn't understand that. And I was like, okay, this is a joke, a prank, and I didn't really pay much attention to it. And two weeks after that, I was um, writing a script for a feature, uh, a feature, feature, or feature, and I usually write uh, with music. And I was tired of listening to the same music at that time. I was into Bon Iver and all, all this kind of music. I, it was... Um, that's that, that type of music, and um, and I went back to this to this video. I don't know why. It was like a, something I didn't really um, think about too much, and I just went there, and I started looking into the um, the the all other YouTube videos relate, related. Okay, and I started discovering like these neon covers of uh, with really funky names like Come Truths. Dance with the Dead, Carpenter Brood, Perturbator, all kind of really Miami Nights, 1984. And I was like, okay, what is this? I don't know. So this is really like a music that I don't know about and a scene. And I, I basically I went into a rabbit hole for hours. And I was like, okay, I really like this music. And I don't know why, because I shouldn't. Because like I tell you, I come from a guitar underground. But I'm really falling into that. That was the spark for me to do the documentary, the discovery of the music and finding that I have like emotional connection to it that I didn't really knew. So that's basically the main, the main starting of the, for me to um, dig into this music, discovering it and then uh, starting to contact the composers. And eventually uh, we are here right now and I did a documentary about them. <laughs> and, and it's very good it's very good i find it interesting your narrative your story is very similar to some of the people in the film who you know are interested in music and then they're they're sitting there late at night and they jump down a rabbit hole and i've been down that rabbit hole too you know as i'm writing reviews and things like that i need music in the background and i've had that kind of music on um lately um i've been having vaporwave music um yeah, which is like, I don't know, I, I rediscovered that recently and uh, the Simpsons kind of videos on YouTube have been um, kind of 
calming and pleasing, uh, which you kind of touch on in the film in regards to nostalgia, which I thought was really interesting. Um, the relationship that this music has with nostalgia. Uh, was that something that came about naturally as you were writing and organizing the film? Yeah, it came naturally. I mean, um, when you start discovering this music, one of the things is that it brings you to another time instantly. So it, even if you didn't live it, I mean, I, I'm old enough to have lived the 80s, so, but I understand that there's a lot of, lot of the audience, even the composers themselves, some of them are super young, and they wasn't born in the 80s. But they fetishized this idea of what the 80s were. So basically, this whole music is about nostalgia, either for a, for a period, an era you didn't live, or... An era you live and you are reliving right now again via this music. So basically, the the, the, the idea of the nostalgia is I mean, synthwave will not exist without nostalgia. It's, it's it goes hand with hand. You know, it's like even the visuals have to do with that. I mean, most of now it had changed a little bit because now the scene is much more professional. So they they did they do a lot of you know new visuals and music video. But back in Five years ago, eight, six years ago, when I discovered it, it was just m- music. They put the music online on YouTube, uh, synchronized with all movies from the 80s. So everything is like, you didn't know it was real or not. Like I tell you, it was really uh, playing with the idea of, is this really music of the 80s or not? And um, you know what I mean? So nostalgia as a whole uh, is, is, is just impregnated in the roots of, uh, of this music. It comes from that, basically. It's like a need for those composers to relieve that that era or, um, or or recreate them. Yeah, and they do it so wonderfully. It's it's such a treat to listen to. Um, I want to talk about. There's a major person who you have helping narrate this particular film. How did you get John Carpenter involved? <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I imagine. <laughs> yeah. That was. Uh, that was an amazing journey to get him, um, and I kind of uh, still kind of wondering how did it really happen, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so basically, the long short story is that uh, when I started um, contacting all the composers and uh, having conversation with them, even before shooting the, the documentary, uh, I started asking them, okay, which are your um, composer who you look up to, which is what... When did you get your inspiration? So basically, all of them were uh, coming with um, different names, which basically were uh, Vangelis from the Blade Runner soundtrack, and the guys from Tangent Dream, uh, and Giorgio Moroder. And then, so it kind of come and went, okay? It was different bunch of names. But one of them was always there, like always. All of them told me that name, and that was John Carpenter. And that really struck me because um, me as a filmmaker... I've always been um, looking up to John Carpenter, but as a filmmaker, I didn't really um, understand that his music was would have so, such an impact uh, to musicians, but in fact, it had. So when I decided to make this documentary, I thought, okay, I need someone to um, to be like this godmaster of you know uh, bringing us into this time travel, this journey. And if it has to have one, it has to be John Carpenter. 
So that was the, how I came to this idea. Then I um, we look up to uh, who his manager was, and basically we just sent him an email. Hey, okay, we have this crazy idea. We shot this um, trailer uh, for doing this documentary, and you would like to be the narrator of this guy, um, Regina DeLorean, and um, jumping back in time. And they went like, okay, he's interested, and when you will be making this movie come back to us and we will do it. So uh, we shot the film and um, we come back to them and basically uh, we did it. Fantastic. So, I, right. yeah, <laughs> that's the tip. But I mean, obviously we have to be um, negotiate because it's Hollywood. So we have to negotiate a lot for two years and uh, and it was hard for production to, um, to bring that to the table. But basically he was always involved willing to be involved in the film and understood that what we wanted to do um, was uh, good enough to be to I guess to him to be on the film. Yeah, in in a lot of ways, the way that he talks and the way that he's presented honors the music in a wonderful way and he, the things that he says are I think very applicable to everybody regardless of whether you're making music or you're making art or you're living a day-to-day life and um, you know, he talks about, in a, in a roundabout way, he kind of talks about imposter syndrome in some regards, um, in the sense that, you know, people have done things before, but that doesn't mean that you can't approach them and, and tackle them yourself. Um, I'm curious for you, as a as a filmmaker who's who's come up and found a passion for filmmaking, how you've addressed those kind of complex things yourself. And I understand that you're, you didn't go to, to school or anything like that. I personally didn't go to um, film school or anything, but I still talk about film and write about film and stuff. Um, but that doesn't deny us the chance to make films or write about films. So I'm curious for you, uh, what kind of battle that was as growing as a filmmaker? One, I'm really glad that you um that you um, saw that what John Carpenter says is is not just about music, that because that was the intention behind it. My intention was okay. This guy is not is, is talking to anyone who wants to make art. So we have, we like like you said, I've been um, struggling. Every filmmaker um, struggle with the fact that um, I'm I'm just too small, I will never get into that kind of a stage, I will never make it. So it, it, it goes and on, you are constantly batting with your mind in, in, in the sense of, will I make it? Am I good enough? This is making sense. Am I borrowing from the past and just redoing what others were doing and I'm not bringing anything original to the table? Why will people see my film? So every artist, and every and me as a filmmaker myself, I've been there, I'm still there, so... <laughs> so it's a, it's a constant battle. So uh, basically, you are talking with yourself all the time. So the idea that uh, John was bringing that to the table what, for me was great because that was the whole idea for me to um, to to have him on the film. It's like he's not just talking about music. He's just he's talking to anyone who wants to make art and just go for it because you don't have to get to anyone. Fuck them, you know? If I'm good enough, if I made it, like he said, if I made it, you can make it, but go for it and do it. Just just don't listen to anyone. And that's, I think, maybe that is naive, but that, that was one of the things that I wanted to portray, is just don't rely to anyone, 
just be yourself and do the fuck you want. Go yes. for it. <laughs> <laughs> and and you've made a brilliant looking film, which is the next thing I want to talk about is the visual style and the visual brilliance of the film reflects the music so perfectly. Um, the shots are just wonderfully shot and the locations that you've chosen are really brilliant too and they reflect the mood and the emotions that the music creates. There is, you know, brutalist structures that you've got in there. Um, you know, the walking along, uh, you know, um, apartment buildings and things like that, or through tunnels and all this kind of stuff. All the while you have beautiful neon lighting too. How did you go about organizing this? Did you steer, did you storyboard the film or did you come up with the shots when you went to a location? Uh, it was really a complicated thing because I'm, I've always been interested in visuals, so that's one of the things that I I really look up to, and I wanted to uh, do a documentary who was cinematic. So that's and that's very complicated when you do documentaries because you, usually you are battling with you, you are going to a place you usually you don't know about, you haven't had the chance to uh, like what would you do when you shoot a feature? You will be there days before that and, show, and, and see the place and you can plan it. When you do documentaries, you cannot do that. So that was really a struggling for me, but I wanted to um, to portray that into the film because, I, as you said, we are talking about uh, music that basically is like a scoring fake movies of the 80s. So it has to be powerful in terms of all the neon and all the framing and all the strength in the film. So I wanted to be visually strong and for doing that what I did is um, I always try to, um, to 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 plan it beforehand so I knew that okay I'm gonna go to, uh, to I don't know to uh, to London and I'm gonna shoot this guy so where does he live this place so I went and started to look into to architectural places or places with urban backgrounds and it has to give me something that translates to that character. And basically, I, 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 uh, I chose like three, four places in one era. Uh, and then I, get, I went to the, to the character I wanted to, to shoot and I have a Skype with them. Okay, I did pick these places. Uh, what do you think about that? Does, does that fit your character? Do you think this is good? And they will, will okay, this is not fitting me or, or no, this is great. Or uh, they giving me some other ideas for B-roll or for the interview setup. So basically, it was me uh, planning it. And uh, and on the other hand, I, I was always very open to talk to them. And so they give me ideas because I didn't impose anything to them. I didn't. I wanted really to portray who they were as an artist and a human being. And, and that was one of the parts that's translated from the places that we choose. And it works so well. As I was saying, it complements the music perfectly. Um, you know, I there were moments where you could close your eyes and hear the music and feel it, but then at the same time I get the impression that if I hit the mute button, I would still hear the music. And and that's hard to do. Like, you've done a really great job there. Um, so hats off to you for that. It's impressive. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad because, as I said, it's one of the things that I wanted is to have a cinematic documentary I did it because I, I knew that basically in the end is is talking heads and I know that but I didn't want the audience to feel they were watching 
a talking head documentary with 29 people talking about scenes. So for that, you have to make an effort and try to be visually different and powerful. So I'm really glad that you, um, that you like it and people... I mean, one of the things that I get the most is that how visually the movie is great. So it's, it's, it, for me, that's a win. Yeah, well, definitely. You've done a good job there. Uh, in fact, the whole piece is, is really wonderful, and I really enjoyed watching it. And I know immediately, as soon as, soon as I finished watching it, I went onto Facebook and was like, hey, guys, you are going to love Rise of the Synths. Because like, I know that on my Facebook group, at least, or, or the friends which I know, there is at least 30 of them who would absolutely devour this film completely. It's right down their alley. And I think that's the thing, is you're talking to people about a style of music and an era that everybody is familiar with, even if they weren't from that era. And we all get emotional about the eighties, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Terminator or, you know, for me, gremlins, <laughs> um, but we've all got a film that we kind of look to and, and, you know, hold up high, even if the music in the film wasn't uh, synth music. And that's what I liked about certainly with something like Terminator two, you've got clips in there and it's like, you know, the artists, the musicians are talking about what kind of, you know, type of music do we want? And they're like, I want Terminator 2, which is not talking about the music, but they're talking about the mood of it. Uh, so that in itself, I found it very enlightening. I, I found it really uh, entertaining. Is there an 80s film for you that you kind of look to and, and hold up high as well? Well, that's a very tough question because I have, <laughs> yeah, I have so many 80s films that I love. And picking one will be um, will be unfair, but uh, I mean, I love I love the Goonies like a lot, and um, Terminator the first one, Aliens, Aliens, Aliens the second one is great. Back to the Future, of course. I mean, it, my my list will go on and on and on. <laughs> I cannot pick one, but just the the. I, I cannot pick one. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of inspirations, and that's yes. the main thing. Yeah. Well, well, as we as we wrap up, and and again, thank you very much for your time and talking about your film. And I, I really look forward to hearing what uh, those people, which I recommended it to, feel about the film. Is there anything you want to say as kind of like a final message to listeners, or anything to to say about Rise of the Synths that will get them excited for watching this particular movie? Uh. One thing that I learned about this documentary that I didn't honestly expect was the the emotion we get every time the movie is screened. I mean, right now we cannot screen physically, but like months ago when all these things didn't happen, we uh, we had a lot of screening in small theaters and festivals etc. And one thing that really got me is that every time after the screening. People were um, approaching me or some other people on the team to just saying thank you or hugging us. Like it was, it's really a spark in the eye from people after they sh- they saw the movie, and that's something I didn't really expect, like at all. And it really, so that's really for the people that will not be interested in, uh, and I understand that uh, going to see my documentary about people making music on synthesizers because that's something that they don't really, um, they are not really into that. That's okay, but we are not talking about that. We are talking about making art 
and making something new from something from the past. Everybody can relate to that. Whatever you are making, it's not, and it's not just some a movie for artists. It's a movie for 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 human beings. Basically, you, we all have emotions, and that music is talking about collective memories that we all have from movies from the eighties or back in the time, even from the nineties. And so you will basically get a connection you didn't expect. And you would probably come out come out of the film with a smile, and that's something I'm not making up. I've been there, and for example, I get daily messages from people uh, on social media about the film. For basically people that are uh, telling us this is great, I want to, I want my friends to see it. How can they see it? So basically, just. Um, Give it a chance if you have the time, because I think you will not be disappointed. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. I don't think that people will be disappointed at all, and they certainly will wrap up the film uh, with a smile on their face. And and yeah. uh, that's the main thing. We need more of those kinds of films at this point in time <laughs> in the world, <laughs> very yeah. much so. And uh, and and I, I want to thank you greatly for that because yeah, as I was saying, like I watched this film and then I watched another documentary that was also about music that's screening at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, and they're both. Uh, they both let me left me feeling warm and uplifted and and uh, reminding me of the power of both music and film and memories and nostalgia and the power of all that is uh, is it makes you it lifts you up uh, and you know we've all had bad times and stuff like that and we need more films like your film in particular uh, so thank you very much it means a lot um, thank you for your words that's that's amazing. <laughs> That is director Ivan Castell talking about his documentary, The Rise of the Synths, which is going to be screening at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which will be uh, taking place online from 8am, 30th of June, Melbourne time that is, uh, all the way through to the 15th of July at 8pm Melbourne time. There's some great deals on there as well, $8 for one stream, that's pretty good to watch a, a film that you uh, can watch at home, $35 for 5 64 for 10 dollars for the entire festival uh having seen a lot of the films that are actually screening at the festival uh, there is a lot of great stuff that is going to be screening and you know what i tell you what i'm going to be bringing you interviews with a lot of the filmmakers over the next few days so stick to uh thecurb.com.au to check out these interviews stick to the podcast listen to them as they come up it's really really helpful uh there is a lot of really wonderful interviews that i've got coming along uh with the director of keyboard Fantasies, which is the film that I mentioned that I watched directly after Rise of the Sims, and I tell you what, that's a perfect double right there. Leaving Allen Street, uh, the, the winner of the documentary, best documentary at the Sydney Film Festival, Descent, uh, and a whole bunch more. It's a lot of great films screening at Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, mdff.org.au. Head on over and support an independent film festival in Australia and watch some great, great films. And additionally, as I mentioned, this is also going to be screening at Revelation Film Fest as well, so revelationfilmfest.org, online from July 9th through to 19th as well. Uh, well worth supporting these film festivals uh, and supporting them while they can't be in cinemas is really really helpful ensuring that next year when things hopefully are a little bit more normal they can continue on running uh, that's what we want to see especially in australia where the arts are kind of being a little bit shafted right now 
Anyhow, that's probably a good point to plug uh, my Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash the curb AU. As little as a dollar a month helps keep the website running and helps keep it independent. It's going to be really helpful over the next few months as I might be out of work. Um, and also head over to Facebook.com forward slash the curb AU and stick the curb AU into Twitter as well and give us a follow on both of those. Everything, again, is on thecurb.com.au. Thank you again, guys, for listening. Uh, Please stay safe, look after each other, and watch great movies at Melbourne Documentary Film Festival and Revelation Film Festival. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help you unleash your glow with your favorite personal care products. Right now with Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products. Like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.